Here we are. It is Easter Sunday. We have come to remember and to celebrate and to wonder together at the mystery of Jesus Christ. Um, as a church community, over the past seven weeks, we have been walking with Jesus as he's made his way to Jerusalem and to the cross. And on Good Friday, the church around the world uh, remembered that Jesus died and was beaten up and broken and gave up his spirit, crying, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then he went quiet. The light of the world was extinguished. The word of God stopped speaking. And his disciples were left wondering what the heck to do now. So this is where we have got to in the story. Unless you went to church this morning. Spoilers. This is Easter Sunday. Tonight we are gathered to remember a story about some people getting up at sunrise, heading out in the faint morning light, thinking it was another day, just any other day, but it wasn't. This was the start of a totally new day. The sun broke over the horizon for a new dawn. Now, when I was little, at some point, I learned that the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. Um, did anyone else have that never eat soggy wheat bix thing for like learning the compass? Yeah. So, mm, so pleased that that's with us. Um, so I've entitled this talk, <laughs> Look East to Easter, because I've been thinking about our journey through Lent as this kind of waiting of the long night. Um, because we're not in the Northern Hemisphere, conversely, like our days have been getting shorter, but we sort of just have to work with that. We've had our faces turned east and we've been squinting at the horizon, waiting for the first rays of sunshine to break open the sky. Who here has ever got up for sunrise? Got up when it's actually still just pitch black? So pretty much everybody. Awesome. <laughs> Not Anna. <laughs> just babe. <laughs> so good. Another question. Have you ever woken up and just had that moment of forgetting where you are? Anyone? Yeah, just being like, oh, oh yeah, that's right, I'm on a boat today, or whatever. <laughs> so, oh man, I put sugar in my tea earlier to like get through. I'm like, yeah. Um, sat up and felt totally confused. For those of you... Um, who maybe have lost people you've loved or have received really bad news. I don't know if any of you can relate to the feeling of waking up and for those few split seconds in the morning, you forget the, the bad thing that's happened and um, then it kind of comes back to you again. So I'm sorry if it's painful to remember that, but the reason I invite you to remember these things, getting up out of bed in the dark, remembering your own moments of grief and confusion, is because that's exactly what's going on in the lives of the disciples. Though they lived thousands of years ago, they were people just like us. So we read in Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. So we are going to place ourselves in this story today. We are going to be those people that get up at dawn. So I'd invite you to get comfortable in your seat. 
um, and take that memory of getting up early, take that memory of grief sitting in your guts and close your eyes if you'd like and let their story become our story. Sometimes I get up early, when the world seems more quiet, except for the chorus of birds who rise daily to sing. These last few days I cannot rise and sing with them. The dew is settled on the ground and I am glad of the morning light. Grief always seems heavier at night. You can't see where you're putting your feet at night and it feels the same inside me. I can't see where to go. I had thought I knew. Thought I'd understood what the Messiah had said, but now my mind feels like night. But it feels good to be up and doing something. I've always taken solace in being busy. I can know that the fires are still burning in the kitchen, the water is collected from the well, and I can put my hand to something. At the time of Passover, there's always much preparation to do, much anticipation and excitement. But this year, everything has turned on its head. The joy I usually feel has been matched by a complete hollowness and confusion at seeing my Lord sentenced by our religious leaders, handed over to those Roman authorities, and hung with common thieves. I remember his fierce words to us, but it felt like he was talking just to me. To have courage, courage to listen and heed his words, to see that I too am called to be part of this new kingdom he was bringing. The rabbi invited me, called me to be more than these little things I do, this little woman that my family and my neighbor and the other rabbis would tell me to be. Were these last few years a dream? I remember seeing people healed, seeing strangers flock to him in the countryside just to hear his words to hear the teacher instruct and guide us with zeal. With bold authority, he challenged the Pharisees and those who lorded their power around. He would not stand for the common people to be oppressed by their religious nitpicking. It was exhilarating and terrifying at the same time to hear him call them out. And yet I was humbled. How many times did the Lord need to correct me? Turn my attention back around to see the error of my ways. But now, his body is in the ground, wrapped up and left to decay. I've been accused of being dramatic, but that's how I feel. Like all my hopes and my expectations are decaying right before me. The promise of something beautiful rotting under the sun's heat. These are the thoughts which crisscross my mind as I walk as I rise and walk with the other women, our sandals making a soft clatter on the rocks. The whole town knows where our Lord has been buried. And only a few days ago, the crowds flocked to greet him with so much fanfare, so much celebration. And where are they now? The people have slunk back down. The religious leaders have shown their power yet again. It seems like soon enough, the rest of the world will just move on from this. Another prophet who came and went, changing nothing. And we'll just be left to grieve our teacher. To try and pick our lives back up. Like this all never happened. I think 
How I failed to honour your leading while you were alive, my teacher. But at least I can honour you in your death. These humble spices and herbs are offerings befitting you. If we're even able to get to you, to move that stupid huge rock at your tomb, if we can even reach you. For those of you that have had your eyes shut, you can probably open them now. Friends, this is not where the story ends. It does not end with some women being thwarted by a huge stone. They do not just leave the spices next to a rotting corpse of a radical prophet. Because when they get there, something totally outrageous, totally unexpected happens. We read on in Luke's Gospel. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men with clothes gleaming like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. They then remembered his words. They went back to the tomb. They went back from the tomb and told these things to the eleven and to all the others. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. See you, Nathan. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away, wondering to himself what had happened. It's pretty hard to comprehend what must have been going on for the disciples here. They've just experienced this bewildering death of someone they loved. Someone who had led them, and then suddenly he's there no longer. It must have been dizzying and disorienting. Like you've been moving in this certain direction and you've got all this momentum and suddenly the brakes are slammed on. You've got all this adrenaline pumping and suddenly it's just confusion. But here we see the turning point. Last year at camp, um, Joel McKerra, for those of you who are there, talked about the process of restoration as being this thing of restoring, of telling a new story. Um, telling the same thing in a different way. He talked about how it can be hard to kind of talk back to the old story, to write it over with a new one. But this is what we kind of see the women doing here. They had come to the tomb, and they were grieved and confused, but now they're exhilarated, while still probably being a bit confused. The story that the disciples had been telling the last few days was one of defeat where their teacher had been defeated by the religious authorities, defeated by the Roman Empire, defeated by the crowd mentality, had been defeated by their own fear, their own cowardice, their own denial and betrayal of him. But when the women find the tomb empty, 
They are told that Jesus is risen and a whole new story breaks in and rewrites what they've been experiencing. The women are the first to hear it and to see it. Christ's defeat was actually his victory. Once again, Christ's actions have been misunderstood by his poor disciples. Christ had taken what the disciples expected of him, namely that if he died, he would stay dead, and flipped it on its head. God had done the unexpected. Now there's this saying, which you guys may or may not have heard, the only thing certain in life is death and taxes. But actually, if you're really clever or good at hiding, you can avoid taxes. Um, the one thing that... <laughs> it's true. Tax haven. Yeah, don't get me started. But the one thing that is actually true is that anyone who's been alive cannot avoid death. And yet, here, Christ takes the one thing that seems certain in the world, death, and overcomes it. Christ chose to go to a violent, public, shameful death, something no one could mistake as being an extremely hopeless situation, and then somehow, by the mysterious power of God, comes up from the grave. From now on, this action becomes the thing that gets the final say over every hopeless situation. There is nothing more certain and hopeless than death, and yet, Jesus Christ has made a way of hope through it. And so, the story of the disciples on that morning is one of moving from hopelessness to the very start, the faint glow of hope. It's like the first rays of the sunlight have started to warm up and colour the sky. And not all of them are convinced that hope is possible, but that's okay. We read on later in Luke and in Acts that again and again, Jesus showed up and met with the disciples in his risen body. And slowly their hope becomes more certain. Their grief is transformed to joy their confusion replaced with purpose. And we can't tell all of those stories today. Today is just Easter Sunday. Today, we get the start of the revelation. He is not in the tomb. He has risen. And the disciples start reckoning with the possibility of hope. As I said before, these are people just like us. And we read that the men just outright don't believe the women, except Peter, who's willing to like hedge his bets. <laughs> they don't believe that this good news could be. Hope seems impossible to them. It seemed more plausible that the women are confused or grief-stricken or just spinning a yarn. After all, the testimony of a woman wasn't considered a reliable witness in that day. Women were considered by society not to be capable of recounting what they had seen, not trustworthy enough, not intelligent enough, not good enough, thank you. And for me, the fact that these are the first people at the tomb to find it empty, except for those weird lightning men, like, are they angels? Not sure. But the first people who are commissioned to go and share this unexpected and surprising hope makes this story all the more beautiful. In choosing these women to be the first witnesses to the risen Christ, God chooses the lowly and despised people of the world 
to shame the wise and the strong. If someone had made up the story of Jesus' resurrection, they definitely wouldn't have said that women were the first witnesses because it would make the story even less likely to be true. And yet, here we go. Um, Biblical scholars consider the fact that this is consistently the message that we get through the Gospels as a sign of the authenticity of the Gospel accounts. Christ has always used the things of the fault that the world considers foolish to shame the wise, has always gone about raising the estate of the lowly. In the Sermon on the Mount, which you can read about in the fifth chapter of Matthew, he talks about how the lowly are the ones who are blessed by God. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more room for God and his rule. You are blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. These were grief-stricken women at the end of their rope who had lost the one who was most dear to them. They are trying to get to the tomb, but the stone has been rolled away for them. They were trying to piece together hope from the fragments that they had, but they were given a new hope. The pronouncement comes, He has risen! So good. Is there still confusion? Yes. But is there hope? Yes, yes, yes. What does this mean for us now? Living as we are in the time after the cross. Now, bear with me here, but anybody else in the room like Harry Potter? Yeah? Mixture, mixture. So, um, when J.K. Rowling, and potentially other authors have done this, um, wrote the final Harry Potter book. She wrote the final chapter and then went back in and wrote the rest of the story. And I kind of think that's what it's like for us. The cross is behind us in chronological time, but that thing that Christ did, coming back from the grave, sits ahead of us. It's the final chapter to all of our stories. It is the thing that gets the final say over us. We live now looking to the hope of the cross because the cross has become the ultimate way of retelling our stories. It becomes the ultimate thing that says, there is a mysterious and powerful God who loves us this much, loves us this much that he would give himself up, die for us in order to defeat the powers of death. The cross tells us that there is hope. Because we have a God that knows what it's like to live through the ultimate, absolutely hellish, hopeless circumstances and bring hope out of them. This means that no matter how hopeless our state, Christ has been with us in it and can somehow bring about hope. And this is our good news. Because Christ rose from the dead, there is hope. In Peter um, chapter 1, verse 3, there's this scripture that I'll read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, at the start of the service, I talked about looking east to Easter, looking to where the sun is rising. And for me, I think thinking about the sun rising, or perhaps some occasional days actually seeing it, um, is a reminder that a new era has begun, that Christ is risen. When I see the sunrise, I think I've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The dark has been overcome. And this is cause for celebration. And so we say loudly, Christ is risen! He is risen indeed! Well done. So, um, what I want you guys to participate with me in now is that we've got some foliage and some ribbons. Um, just going to like distribute those so that you can ponder what this hope means. Um, Ponder this mysterious God um, who powerfully rose Jesus from the grave, and here we are. Who gives us his spirit, even now. So I'm going to just hand those out, and we'll just take a few moments to consider that, and then I'd invite you to go and adorn the cross. Um, once a symbol of defeat, actually, symbol of victory. Once a symbol of hopelessness, Symbol of hope, um, and we're going to retell that story. <laughs>